is correct. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Moments of Truth, the show about my favorite moments from my favorite things. I'm Bill Coffin, and today we'll be discussing the Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 2. By the time Marvel's The Avengers blew the doors off of cinematic history in 2012, Marvel Studios was already hard at work at the franchise's next slate of films. They had already proven that their ambitious shared universe wasn't just narratively viable, it was commercially viable too, even by Hollywood standards. So for the, their next trick, they laid it all out for the world to anticipate, and like clockwork, from 2013 through 2015, they produced another half dozen superhero films that would collectively gross almost $5.3 billion. Iron Man 3 would tell the story of Tony Stark's PTSD after he helped save the world during the Battle of New York. Thor The Dark World would tell the story of how Thor must contend with the emergence of another Infinity Stone, as well as immense personal tragedy. Captain America The Winter Soldier would tell the story of the ghosts of Cap's past and the ominous future S.H.I.E.L.D. sees for itself. Guardians of the Galaxy takes us into the Marvel cosmos as well as action comedy for the first time. Avengers Age of Ultron brings it all together with a battle whose outcome will redefine the context for all of our heroes going forward. And Ant-Man introduces us to yet another angle of the Marvel Universe with the smallest stakes worth caring about. Across these movies, we also see the introduction of many new characters who will become major players down the road, including the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the Guardians of the Galaxy, Wanda and Pietro Maximoff, the Vision, and Ant-Man. To any other movie studio, 759 minutes of interlocking and internally consistent big-budget storytelling would be simply impossible to execute. But for Marvel, it was just their second chapter in a story that so far has no end in sight. And what a chapter it was. So let's get into it. With me today is Project Insight Community Outreach Director, Chris Crenshaw. On your left. Three-time Nova Empire Dance-Off Champion, Tom Hespos. I'm distracting you. (laughs) (laughs) And the tallest man in the quantum realm, Joe Pace. Well, you you haven't heard of me? (laughs) Oh, no. You wouldn't have heard of me. (laughs) Fantastic. Chris, let's start off with you. Walk us through the movie from phase two that you chose to talk about. Give us a quick Twitter-length synopsis of it, why you enjoyed so much, and what your moment of truth from it is. Bill, I got to tell you, Captain America, the Winter Soldier... I think remains my favorite Marvel movie ever, even in the face of Infinity War and Endgame. This is the one that, that really still gets me every single time. So it's the MCU's pot boiler. You know, the, the stakes are relatively low. Well, they're not, but it's all personal. Yeah. We get we get these unbelievably great character moments from everybody you know, from for cap for for sam for natasha and for nick fury i think probably the first thing i should mention about it is the writers the late great joe simon has gotten a well-deserved writing credit on all of the mcu's captain america mm-hmm. movies, yeah which i think is wonderful yeah because that guy really did define the character yeah, but much deserved but Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely wrote this film, as well as the first Captain Eric film and, and some other MCU films. I, I actually didn't know that until I started reading up for this episode. I, I really know who these guys were particularly. It turns out they're the second and third highest gross, grossing screenwriters of all time. And together, if you put them together, they've grossed $9.3 billion. And I had no clue. <laughs> no clue. I, just, I didn't know who they were either. I feel like an they, idiot now. That's awesome. They wrote Infinity War and Endgame. Oh, well, there you go. So, okay. 
they know how to tell a story and yeah. here they're doing the mcu's version of a pot boiler you know there's yeah. it's a tight focus on a very few characters which is you know it's very much not an avengers movie and it's somehow less kinetic than movies like thor where you, you know you're going from character to character across great distances it's all about these personal relationships i mean you know natasha at the beginning of this movie she's like a low-key villain really you know she she's on a mission with cap and and she's got her own game and she's yeah. treating the whole situation with a levity that cap just doesn't appreciate at all <laughs> true, true. <laughs> and, and actually it's the first time we see natasha in civilian clothes which i think is significant she's always in these cat suits or sexy dresses before oh right and, yeah so just and, like and, and so we see her yeah. like as a you know she's a she's a woman just a, a yeah. person yeah. you know this film really really deepens her character the same goes for sam wilson this movie really i, I don't know I, I it did justice to that character in I, a way i was I really so excited appreciate. to see sam wilson come on the scene because when i was a kid i was a huge falcon fan me and too i thought the falcon was the one he was he was a super cool and I was just so excited to see him come in and like and just done in a way that made him as cool to me as an adult as he was to me when I was a kid. I'm like, oh, Falcon. Exactly. And Bill, and, and what's more, as a kid, I, I had a particular issue of Captain America that uh, in which Batrock was a, vil a villain. And of course, he is yeah. the terrorist that hijacks the, the boat in, in this. <laughs> yeah. And you know, he's hired to yeah, by yeah. Nick Fury, it would seem. Sorry, spoilers. The plot is intricate and tight, and and the relationships are everything. And I, I just think it's a fantastic, fantastic movie. I, I think it is so far above the basic excellent level of the MCU. And I, I and what I think elevates it is its focus. It, it's it, you know yeah. it, it, th those relationships are everything. So before we go any further, Chris, can you walk us through a really quick synopsis of what? <laughs> Captain America, the Winter Soldier is all about. See, I thought I did that in my first two sentences, but okay. <laughs> in, in this movie, Steve's uh, former sidekick, Bucky and best friend, reappears in a, in a mysterious form while S.H.I.E.L.D. is suddenly falling apart because it has been infiltrated by Hydra. The, this movie is cataclysmic. It changes everything in yeah. the MCU. After this point, there's no more S.H.I.E.L.D. The Avengers have less backup in Age of Ultron because of what happens here. Yeah. Well, I guess that's the most I can say, right? Yeah, Just sure. As a summary? No, that works. <laughs> Without spending two hours going into a moment by moment, because the movie draws you in. I mean, it definitely, you know, it, it's, it, it, it does click along quite nicely. It's so tense. Yeah, right? Well, my, my, my moment of truth in this movie is just something I really, I really love about it. The scene with Sam after Cap has witnessed Sam's therapy session you know for for vets oh right yeah i really want to give disney credit here because over a number of these mcu films they have addressed mental illness and and post-traumatic stress in a in a really it's not an in-depth or really super important way i guess but you know representation matters i guess yeah and i i think i think it's really cool they're, they're not dehumanizing the victims of these things at all and the moment of truth is when sam asks steve what makes you happy? And Cap can't really answer. Yeah. I mean, don't we know the answer? I think we we all have a sense of what makes Cap happy. 
doing the right thing. I yeah, I mean, you know, you know like that—that's—that's that's the only thing that ever made him happy. I, I, I'll, I'll just be honest. I was afraid of answering because I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to get. I don't want to be. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. Well, I want to get. The, I don't want to get the question wrong on Captain America. Then I have to yeah, end the podcast and burn Socratic my computer. So you know, I, that was way too Socratic. For he's happy when you, he's happy when you watch your mouth. I think is what yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. yeah, exactly. Language. He's happy when he's passing on the left. I mean, that's what. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, that is, I, I do believe that is Captain America's gig. Yeah. doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah. And and in that scene, he's whole, so wholesome. So many scenes, he's as so he, wholesome. It's great. Well, as he perceives it, but he has keen insight in pretty much every case. I, I, we'll have more of this conversation in phase three. If, if, if Captain, if Captain America were a real person and not the product of writers, like, I would use him as my moral compass. There's a scene uh, shortly after that where Cap is at Peggy Carter's deathbed, oh. and she's she's kind of asking him the same question yeah. you know like what makes you happy why are you do you have to keep doing this and yeah. and again he doesn't really have an answer and then of course she goes all yeah. dementia and the, yeah. the saddest thing ever yeah. this is what captain america movies are about to me this is what captain america stories are about yeah steve sees right from wrong when nick fury takes him into the basement of the triskelion and shows him uh, Project Insight. Yeah, these three enormous helicarriers that are going to suddenly put the entire Earth under under armed surveillance. Yeah, uh, you know, able to eliminate thousands of targets a second. Captain America knows right from wrong. I, I, this establishes his credibility to me for what's coming in Phase Three and Civil War. Yeah, but again, I, what I love what I love so much about what the writers and what Phage and the and the MCU has done. Is they establish that credibility, and yet the other side's not wrong either. And you're able to, well, no, I disagree with you, Chris, because you're not Captain America, so you're not always right. Okay. So you did not see, you apparently did not watch Age of Ultron. I did watch Age of Ultron. <laughs> I watched all of them. Because one side was wrong. What I'm saying to you yeah. is that Nick Fury's trying to do the right thing. Later, we'll see that Tony Stark is trying to do the right, the right thing as he sees them. And there is evidence that they're not necessarily wrong either because aliens do come down and wipe out half the people on it. Anyway, there is nuance to these films that give it more than just here's black, here's, here's the black hat, here's the white hat, you know who to root for. And, and it gives you that heft and that, that moral ambiguity in some places. And I think one of the brilliant things they do with the Captain America character is what you've talked about is from first Avenger through here, you establish him as Petey Pureheart and, and, and Sir Galahad and the whole bit. And then later they give you the opportunity to fray the edges on that a little bit and, and wonder how far that can go. And, and, and there's a push and pull to it. And so that, I think that's, that's brilliantly done. Uh, I, I agree with you. You're bringing us something that's important here. What, what we're seeing in this movie is the Captain America of the late seventies and early eighties. Yeah. Uh, the con- where, the, where the, 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 the Marvel writers kind of yeah, character. Yeah. Yeah. The Marvel writers were, you know, looking back on Vietnam and, yeah. And some other stuff, and saying, uh, "Can Captain America stand for that?" Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, at one point, he even gives up the shield and the name. That's what we see coming, of course. Yeah. yeah. Tom, you know. Tom, wait, what, what's your favorite part of the movie? I can't talk about my favorite part of the movie yet because 
I'm on team Joe for this one. Like the freight edges are coming and you know, like I have this history with Captain America where I, I, I do love him as a character, but you know what? Like he's not always right. And, and, you know, I will go, oh, in these movies, I will he go is. team Iron Man, you know, to the day I die. I, I knew this is coming. He hates this, but you know, I'm, I'm still, I don't, I feel, told I, feel, Tony. I, feel, I feel like told a, Tony. Yeah, I feel like a Hydra agent asking Tom what his favorite part of where his shoulder was. Cause I knew it was going to go bad. I'm like, yeah. But, but I do, you know, if you want to point to, you know, points in the movie that I do like, I do like the notion that Steve's willing to like stick his neck out for his buddy because he just yeah. intuitively, again, you know, he knows to it's the end right. of the line. And you know, he's always for the little pull, guy, you know, like the Brooklyn guy, you know, really just like pulling for his friend. Like, yeah. I know this guy, you know, didn't do all this stuff, you know, or he did, but you know, he was under yeah. mind control or whatever. Like when everybody else was willing to hunt this guy down and basically kill him, he stuck his neck out. So I think yeah. Captain Mercy I is love good. That aspect. He, al- he always remembered the days when, when Bucky was looking out for him, when he yeah. was a little guy yes. getting to just his, his from getting beat up, getting his head right. Rocked and, and, and he Bucky was, like, was what he wanted to be, right? The MCU right, yeah. version of Bucky, yeah, was what he know, wanted to be, and absolutely. And there's a great flashback where we see them at that time, and Bucky doesn't lord it over Steve at all. Bucky genuinely is looking out for his friend. I mean, yes. there's, there's such a genuine love between these two guys, like to the end when they say to the end of the line, they both, the end they, of the they line, both man. really mean it. When Steve has a chance to pay that back and look after his buddy, he does, and it's without question. And you know, that were those conditions completely flipped the story would have played out similarly. Each of them is, is equally there for each other. And I, I really do love how they play that out over the course of movies, but they establish it here so well. And like you and you kind of know it's coming, and you're just like, you're rooting the entire time for him to just wake up. Like, Bucky, come on, man. Like, wake up. Dude, you know, you know, yeah. St- stop, yeah, bit, please. I, you're, that, that, you're friends. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've never put my finger on that, but it, that is a real dynamic in this movie. Like, yeah. just, oh, come on, Bucky. 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 He's your body. He's your best friend, man. <laughs> we, would, we would be doing a disservice to this movie if we didn't. I, I make fun of Chris because of his uh, man crush on, uh, on on Sebastian Stan, the Bucky actor. Um, but the moment when... when That's Captain, not just a man crush. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Um, the when 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 Captain America is is holding the helicopter from taking oh, off, dude, I've questioned my sexuality. Uh, oh man, during that scene, who among us and, and questioned my workout routine. <laughs> yeah, I'm so I, I, glad my wife's not here. I'm so glad my wife's not here. <laughs> I, I've seen I've seen women faint in droves at that helicopter scene. Is it just, is watched, I'm like, that's not I've cool. seen men get the vapors. I mean, honestly, it's yeah, just like it, it's. I mean, it's impo- the pheromones come through the screen wherever you are. It's just impossible to resist. I, I, I yeah, I would have touched his chest. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah, right? <laughs> Those pecs are like pillows of muscle. I love them. Oh, I, oh, yeah. And speaking of which, I like that 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 scene with Natasha in the Apple Store with with the the the, the genius who's like yeah. specimen, <laughs> specimen, yeah. <laughs> I love that scene so, so much. It's so crazy. Like, he's calling it out. Like, we've been all been talking about it. <laughs> We're all thinking it. So, so one thing I got to say is that, you know, like, like I mean, I, just, I love the themes of this movie. I, this is like a political thriller. Like, it's like a Day of the Jackal kind of aspect to it. Just, yeah. It's just, just super, like, there's this paranoia you don't normally get, which is super cool. Good James Bond movie. Yeah, 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 right? Oh, yeah, a you know, really good James Bond movie. Yeah. I would say to that end, the, the scene where they're in the bunker and this, like, 
weird retro tech AI version of Arnim Zola boots up and basically explains to them like the whole Hydra like twist. And you're like, what the F is going on here? It was so great because uh, for so many different reasons, not the least of which was there's like, you know, especially like a superhero movie like this and in in this shared universe where the stories are going to start playing out over long installments, right? Which is which is phase two really is setting up like there's nothing quite scarier than a bad guy who's playing the long game. And you realize just what kind of long game Hydra's been playing. You're like, oh my God, they could be everywhere. And they are. And you're like, no. Nah! And like, it's just so, it's so terrifying. It's like, this is, this is horrifying, you know? And, and it's cool because it's like they chip away at Cap's greatest strength and greatest vulnerability, which is his certainty, right? His moral certainty and, and the things he, he places his endless faith and trust in. Those things are shown to be corruptible. He's got to figure yeah. out how to soldier on with that knowledge and and that's just tough it's it's tough to watch cap have to in, internalize that right yeah this is him realizing that his moral compass has to be the one that guides him not you know america not the government or whatever or yeah. the military I, yeah. that i think it's really an important I, it's an important movie to me I, I know we're supposed to keep this self-contained but it's hard not to look at the falcon and the winter soldier series and look at u.s agent right? yeah and his term as captain uh, sure oh for sure and, yeah. and the only reason i bring that up is because every time john walker every time he introduces himself he introduces i'm captain america yeah insists, i'm captain america steve rogers never does that in the films whenever no, he meets doesn't. anybody he says i'm steve yeah, mm-hmm. even right. even in, in Infinity yeah. War, he meets Groot and he's like, "Hi, Steve Rogers." <laughs> yeah, I am Groot. Right? I am Steve Rogers. Exactly. Yeah, right. I'm Steve Rogers. He yeah. never says, "Oh, I'm Captain America," because yeah. he doesn't. That's he doesn't, not. He doesn't pull yeah. rank on anybody. There's a humility to him. Yeah, that is a major difference in, in certainly yeah. those two characters. No, no, I completely agree. I, I this one just it, it still makes me excited. It's got yeah. some of Nick Fury's best character moments ever. At least oh my god, yeah, Marvel. yeah. That that want to see my least scene, <laughs> right before the car chase chick kicks yeah, off, yeah, is oh, it's badass. And and that car chase, among the best in cinematic history, oh. that's Ronan level good. I mean, super super good, dude. It, so good. If we're gonna talk about great scenes, can we spare a moment for the elevator fight scene, Please which is do. one of the most <laughs> close quarters, badass, oh. high octane before we start you want to get off is like one of the coolest pre-fight lines ever filmed in anything ever i mean good lord 10 out of 10 100 points to gryffindor i mean i i I, that scene is so goddamn good it's just it just kicks your face in oh my god he does it with one arm like Uh oh my god it's so fantastic that's oh it's so good and and it's great because they keep building it up like all these goons keep getting on and like it's like ding and they keep going on and it's like the more guys get in the elevator, the more the more Steve is like, yeah, okay, and like, and it gets to the point like, oh, this is gonna turn bad. Like, oh, they're putting them in, and then like they're, they're loading them up on me, and then it gets to the point he's almost like, I'm kind of glad they feel like I'm worth all these guys. <laughs> you know, like it's, it kind of gets to the point. It's like, all right, let's do this. This is what I'm here for. And like, oh man, I can't wait. Oh, it's oh, that is that is not only my favorite action scene of this movie, which has got no shortage of great action scenes. It is probably my favorite action scene, just pure action scene of any Marvel movie, and probably one of my favorite action scenes of any movie, just because because like I, there's something there's something really cool about like a close quarters fight scene where like you don't have room to sure. maneuver. It's just like super, just like and yet it's you know glass walls, glass so walls it, it, it's, it's going really around. Cool. It's just crazy. Honestly, the only oh. 
The only thing that, that comes close to it for me is is the Daredevil hallway fight scene from the Netflix. Oh, cool. yeah. Oh, right? Let's, we, we, right. Let's let's save that. Ooh, I, I would yeah. not mind saving we'll that. Put a cap yeah. on that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll put a pin in that um, one. Yeah, so. in, we'll yeah, 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 yeah. So. Oh, uh, yeah. That it's Die Hard three turned up to eleven, and it's glorious. I think that one of the great things about this movie is that the plot is sufficiently diabolical to have Nick Fury, the ultimate Marvel plotter made complicit in the bad guys plot yeah i i that's really neat yeah good stuff we see the first reference to stephen strange in the mc mcu which i think is super cool yes yes and uh before the triskelion helicarrier fight steve switches to his og uniform yes that was so good it was really nice and it was one of our in my family it's one of our favorite stan lee cameos and it comes in as the security guard and he sees yeah. the empty empty uh, dummy he's like fired. oh man i am so fired and also actually this is also one of my favorite marvel post-credit scenes where bucky's you know, finds himself yes. in the Smithsonian. It's really powerful. It it's powerful. low key yeah. by, by these standards. Yeah. But but it, you know, it just it set it set so it set my set fireworks off my brain. Yeah. You know, just like there was so much story going on there. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. I also have to say the scene in which we first introduced the Winter Soldier and Steve's like chasing him through the through the apartment and he basically runs and he throws his shield across the rooftop and he just turns around bang and just catches it. And you're like, oh, Oh man, he just caught the shield. Didn't even flinch. You're like, this is creepy, crazy. Like, and and you know what's a lot of fun is that this movie, from what I understand, kind of faithfully captured, I guess, the Ed Brubaker, you know, graphic novel or, or I guess issue series that that was originally published some time ago. I the spirit of it anyway. I think. It, yeah, it's, it was fun for me because as a longtime comics reader, longtime Marvel fan, but I kind of stopped following Marvel religiously after a certain point. And so this happens after that. So I didn't know right. this story at all. So I'm like one of the few people, like, you know, when, the, when they're fighting, he pulls the mask off the Winter Soldier's like, Bucky? I'm like, Bucky? Like, <laughs> like in the theater, I'm like, holy <laughs> Bucky Barnes! Like, I couldn't believe it. People looking at me like, you must you must not get off the farm often, huh? I'm like, no, I don't! <laughs> you know? I was so in. I was in a hundred percent. I, I, they totally That's had funny. me. They totally had me. And I, I, I must be the only guy in America who wasn't in on the secret at that point. I think this is a good time to, to switch gears and let's go to Tom's moment of truth. Tom, can you talk to us about the the movie that you picked from Phase Two? Give us a quick overview of what it's all about. Why do you like it so much? And what is your moment of truth from it? Sure. I mean, I picked Guardians of the Galaxy, um, <laughs> which was like a breath of fresh air for me. So, like, yes. Every, you know, movie so far, you know, in this like new, wonderful Marvel cinematic universe that, that we ended up with. And I'm so happy about all of it. But like, I knew what to expect going into each one of those movies. With Guardians, because I didn't really follow the comic book, I had no idea what to expect from it. And like, I only knew the characters from like official handbook of the Marvel Universe, like just reading their entries in there. I didn't know the plot of any of this stuff. Like if you asked me to describe a Guardians of the Galaxy comic book, I'm like, I don't know who the villains are. I don't know what they do. Like, I don't know anything about these guys. Acid trip. (laughs) 
<laughs> so <laughs> it's got actually a pretty, you know, typical plot. I mean, there's a, a guy who wants this orb, Ronan the Accuser, and, you know, it turns out he wants to give it to, uh, to that, or maybe he doesn't want to give it to Thanos. And it turns out, you know, of course, they discover along the way that this orb has an infinity stone in it. So it starts to roll up to, you know, our, our really big bad villain, you know, who's going to come out in the Avengers movies, the final two Avengers movies, Thanos. You have these heroes that like, A, I know nothing about. B, they're coming together like a tossed salad. Like, you know, everybody yeah. is after this orb and this infinity stone yeah. and everybody's out to screw everybody else over this infinity stone. So, yeah. It's like a reverse heist movie, <laughs> right? It kind of is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I love that about it. Like, they all sort of, like, come together, like, trying to kick the crap out of each other over, yeah. you know, over this orb and, like, who gets to take it, you know, either auction it off to the highest bidder or, you know, get it away or two Thanos and it, it's just it's, it, it was such a cool like little almost like caper movie in the beginning yeah. these guys eventually do sort of gel together as heroes but like along the way there's just so much great comedy and, and light-heartedness to it that like I really appreciated and and Peter Quill you know the main protagonist of the movie Star-Lord you know who, who? thinks he's way who? bigger who? than he actually <laughs> is you know like that that just sets up for so many great gags <laughs> And like my moment of truth in the movie is actually like when they're breaking out of prison yeah. and Rocket Raccoon sends them on this fool's errand to go get this guy's prosthetic leg. He needs it to help break them out. And like, basically, he gets, you're like, I got the leg. And he's like, I just thought it would be funny. Like, I didn't need that. That was yeah. just, you know, like, it's yeah. hilarious. I, I, and Quillhead had to give the dude 30,000 units, <laughs> which was almost the bounty on yeah, Quill himself. Like 3,000, and he had to pay out 30,000 to get this guy's leg. And that sets up, like, this whole, you know, thing of gags throughout, you know, this movie and others about, like, Rocket yeah. wanting people's like prosthetic, prosthetic body parts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll have that. Maybe yeah. you've got this collection somewhere where you're like, you never get to see. <laughs> I love that there was just so much great comedy in this, and like, uh, you know, Rocket. Like, I, I again, I knew nothing about these guys, and like yeah. the little jokes here and there. You know, oh, you know, Drax, his culture doesn't understand metaphor, so like everything goes right over his head. Right. You know? <laughs> nothing over, goes over my, my head. head. I would catch it. My reflexes are too good. I would catch it. (laughs) (laughs) And props to Dave Batista for playing that straight up the middle. He was real. Honestly, he played skeptical when I heard he got cast in this thing. Oh "Oh my god, he's so great. The funniest straight man I've seen in a long time. He was. He has nothing to do with the character of Drax in the comics, but this is a better Drax. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Honestly, (laughs) that's fantastic. It's a better Drax. No, no, it's so. And he's he's everything I hear about him. He's just a good sport. Like apparently, it took hours for his makeup to go on. It's like you can be funny after sitting in the chair for three hours every day. Good for you, man. (laughs) Well done. That guy is going to be prominent like, in the next Dune movie. I'm psyched. Yeah, it's going to be. <laughs> anyway. Tom, I, I, I could not agree more with you. Like, this movie, it's not not just the humor; it's the heart, isn't it? Oh, There's yeah. just so much. Yeah, there really is so much heart in it. You always wonder walking into these movies, these Marvel movies, like what are they like for people who like really just like weren't comic book fans? Like, do they stand alone? And this yeah. was the movie that said, yeah, these because like I was completely unfamiliar with it. And it was just it was, yeah. it was such a breath of fresh air. And I was like, 
I, I just walked out of that. I was like, yep, th this this whole cinematic universe yeah. is for real. They can do like, anything, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? Like they can yeah. take any of their property. Well, absolutely, for the most part, yeah. They can take any of their properties and make them work. Now, I use as the the measuring stick, Tom, for that is my wife, and she walked out of Guardians. She's like, that was a lot of fun. Right. And, and she yeah. could care less about any of the, yeah. you know, the comic canon or any of that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, the jokes landed with her. You don't need to be a Marvel insider to catch no. up. Uh -uh. There's stuff for us. Right. There's there's the, the dork stuff for us. But yeah. then it's broad enough comedy that a wider audience would get it. My son, who's 11, Rocket Raccoon has been his favorite character for oh, years. Mm. He just immediately identified with him, which I should probably be moderately concerned about. Probably. Um, thank God I don't have any prosthetics. Let's just leave Rockets, it. Right Rocket's a great character. I've been a fan of Rocket since the 80s. There's a great miniseries that um, mm -hmm. that Mike Mignola, who does Hellboy, yeah. actually penciled. And it's, and it's just a delightful, just crazy romp. And it's just so, God, it's so, so much fun. Yeah, Rocket Raccoon's just a great character. I love him. Bradley Cooper, man. Oh, he does such a job. Nails it. <laughs> you oh, never know and, and, well, and, and look, hey, look, can we can we stop for a moment and, and just talk about uh, the voice actors or uh, the, the actors in, in general Diesel. on these. I mean, goddamn, Chris Evans. What I, uh, Chris Evans' performance? I'm sorry, Pratt. I, I rate it with uh, Chris, Robert Downey's. Chris uh, Pratt, you mean? Uh, no, Chris Evans as Captain America. Chris oh, Pratt, oh, oh, dude, that dude cannot even stop with the charisma. Like, like yeah. you can't, you can't not love everything Chris Pratt does in these movies. <laughs> Right? There's an earnestness to him. Like it, he, yeah, it's yeah. almost like he's not acting. It's it's, it's yeah. yeah. He's just so happy um, to be there. He's happy to be there. <laughs> and, but like yeah. He's, there's he is sort of the everyman, right? Like you put him yeah. in like and it's like what would we be like if right. you were in a Marvel movie, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. And and it's I was super much, heroic there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he calls the Dude. bad guy a turd blossom to his face. Like, what? Wait a minute. <laughs> it's like where where was that coming from? You know. It's so good, so good. I love the the Groot scenes too. Dance you know, where like you see this guy like beat up some of the you know the biggest yeah. guys in the whole movie. Like you know, shoves his freaking branch up this one guy's nose, yeah. and then you know, not too long after, you see him like plucking a flower, and yeah, giving it to a little girl on a planet so tender. surface. And you're like, yeah. oh, he's like the muscle well, guy know, with the heart of gold. You know, <laughs> well, you know, to to Chris's point, or or I think it was, or maybe Joe mentioned Vin Diesel, right? Who basically had yeah had like the most interesting voice acting job. He just had to say one line a couple of different ways you know he took that job after his his dear friend paul walker from fast and furious line had died right and so vin was like my understanding he was kind of going through his grieving process and wanted something that would take him out of a bad place this thing came along and he got connected to it groot was like therapeutic for him and then when you know that and you see the movie again you get that and so when he say and, and so like when you get that wonderful line at the end where it's like you know they're all going down he he you know Groot just envelops him and he goes we are Groot and you're just like oh tears in my face Dude, you know Groot and, is therapeutic for everybody yeah, you, you, know, <laughs> you know but like like you mentioned the earnestness I think there's there is a genuine earnestness across the board in this thing you know which yeah. and, and even like with like Rocket like he's such a miscreant but there is that there he wants is to that, be loved he yeah. wants to be loved. Yeah, I mean, he does look. want to be loved, and you like you yeah. get that, and and it all comes out so well. Like they're well, all these guys are all broken. They're all broken. Yeah. They're all orphans. Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, Groot's entire species was destroyed. He's the last survivor of a like a, a a hive species in a lot of ways, where the we are Groot referred to like the racially they were all like yeah. a, you know, uh, and then you know Gamora obviously who is. Uh, was orphaned yep. and raised by Thanos. We haven't even talked about Zoe Saldana, who must be the highest grossing actress of all time, right? If she was in Avatar and now she's in 
they all these Marvel movies. Oh, and, dude, man, her uh, geek cred goes on for miles. Well, and then she's a hero, <laughs> and you know, so yeah. Uh, but all of these people are—they're all broken. Drax lost his family. Star Lord was an orphan raised by yeah. you know Yondu, who's hilarious too. So they're all broken. They're all looking oh, for good. family, and that's kind of the theme, right? Yeah. At the end, that they, yeah. they find that we are Groot. This is, and they even says that we're not. You know, we're a family. That becomes yeah, a- yeah, yeah. We're not a team. We're a family. Well, you know, the funny, so much heart. The funny thing about this is that you know, Tom, I came at this movie from a slightly different angle because I also did not know who the Guardians of the Galaxy were. To go back to Phase One for a second, it always kind of got under my skin watching like the movie Trade Press kind of go off about like, oh, I can't, they're going to do an Iron Man movie. And they brought Robert Downey Jr. in. Do they know his history? I don't know if this is going to work out or not. Like all these idiots who didn't actually like make any movies. Like guys, you just stop for a second. Like you know, don't second guess the process here until you actually see the result. And, and there's a lot of that going on. They kind of stopped after Avengers, right? But then it picked right back up again when it's like. Marvel may have dropped the ball in this one. Get a load of this. They're going to do Guardians of the Galaxy. What? Who? Who knows what? The, you know, I, I, and like, there's all this like weird skepticism about it, which is kind of funny because like when everybody in the movie is like Star Lord, who? To me, I was hearing people going Guardians of the Galaxy, who? <laughs> you know, and it was like, well, jokes on you because the movie's awesome. I knew the director because James Gunn is a guy whose movies are really. They're very offbeat, but but I absolutely love them. I mean, I, I mean, they're usually like very and. This is probably the most family-friendly movie I've ever seen him do. He's done some other movies that are simply not for kids, right? But they're fantastic. So I was like, oh, my gosh. And I was like, James Gunn is writing and directing? I don't care what it is. If It could have been Angar the Screamer. I would have gone and watched it, you know? <laughs> Paste Pot Pete? Sure. You got it. I'm there, <laughs> you know? The Aquarius. It, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. You know, so, so, so I was like, I was going into this fully expecting to have a fantastic time, but not knowing why. But yeah, but I share where you're coming from, Tom, which is like, it's like, it was such a, such a breath of fresh air. It gave you license to laugh at a superhero type movie that wasn't making fun of itself. Things like The Mask, say, would like try to make you laugh, but they're also trying to like poke fun at anybody who ever wanted to watch a superhero movie straight up, right? Like, there's Mr. always like this, we, yeah, 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 Mr. Man, like just, we're trying to break down the very conventions you came for. Here it's like, no, 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 this is a straight up comic movie. You got it. But, it's got heart. You're going to laugh. You're going to have, you're going to grab the seats, you know, the, the arm armrest. You're going to do all these things. And it was such so much fun to watch it do that. I, in a weird way, it had a lot to do or a lot in common with the Deadpool movies, in my opinion. Like these movies are really kind of parallel to Deadpool because they are deeply funny, subversive, but not yeah yeah you know i, I could have in an alternate universe i'm sure james gunn did deadpool i mean like, like he he would have been an excellent alternate choice to direct deadpool movies for sure like he's got that warped sense of humor that would have really worked well there <laughs> and you can definitely go in the gutter sometimes but what you what you've got here i mean in a lot of ways i mean it's a science fiction movie the effects the the action sequences are all really well done yeah you know the acting is good the directing is good. it's like anything else right if the craftsmanship is good you can make a good movie in just about any genre, and if yeah. it's done well, yeah, it's going to be worth watching, right? Yeah. So, uh, I think that's what you have here: is you have all the pieces coming together to to make something that's just eminently rewatchable. Also, including yeah. we didn't mention it, the music. I, I was going to say the yeah. music. Oh yeah. man, awesome mix volume one! Holy Moses, it's so good. <laughs> it's just, 
they keep cut like there's no bad track in that or where it's uh. <laughs> no. No. I, I'm, I remember sitting in the theater and i'm like i'm, I'm just tapping my foot and i'm like mm -hmm. my god they yanked cherry bomb out of the vault man mm -hmm. oh my god yeah. for like a great scene too, yeah you know? yeah right for really good scene <laughs> wait, wait, there are so many of those cool hero walk man. scenes in this movie oh my god yeah this movie like this movie oh it just ate the hero walk for breakfast and i kept coming back for more like right. please gecko you know yeah the star lord kicking the little dinosaurs yeah, out of the way, yeah. oh my god oh yeah I, 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 oh yeah no and yeah blue sweet I mean, it was so so great i hadn't heard a soundtrack like this since say like pulp fiction or something right where yeah. we're like you know like tarantino really he was going back in the movie the music he loved but also wanted to make sure it kind of got to do it deserved i guess and 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 he had kind of had a mission there i read it and really interesting interview with James Gunn about where the music came from. And it came from this long-standing tradition he has with his brothers, uh, where he would, every year for Christmas, they would make a mixtape of the, the, their favorite music they discovered over the course of the year and just share it with each other, right? And, and they would just had this big, this big mixtape sharing ceremony, as right? As you did back then. Yeah. As you did. Nice. And, and so this music all came from that tradition of his and see these are all like personal favorites of his it's music that like it's like it's not just cool music it's not just music that hits a certain retro vibe it's music that meant something to him and so we mentioned earnestness there's an earnestness to the musical choices because they mean something to him and and i think in some weird way it translates right like he puts it in there because it makes him feel like a certain way that he wants you to feel during the scene and so you harmonize with that music and like yeah and you dig it that's my theory as to why i think the music works so incredibly well they're not just great tunes there's a little something extra there that makes them special in this movie i can't remember if this was a leading edge of the really ass kicking action sequences with sort of um music Your from bright poppy music yeah and yeah because Deadpool does that too, right? Like you know the Jeff yeah. Newton uses, you know. Yeah, that's that's really I think that's things. one of the reasons I, I yeah. have that opinion. And, and it's it's there's like almost like a flavor to, it. and it's become popular. You're seeing it increasingly. Mm -hmm. I think over the last ten years, you've seen Suicide that. Squad. Just in retrospect, looking back at the entire cinematic universe run, like the insane risks that got taken along the way, like mm. which one didn't pay off in Spades, like right. I, you, you could have fouled it up with this one movie and like, yeah. like, like you were saying the skepticism, like yeah. you could have sunk it, you know, people could have said, Oh, you know, maybe this, you know, lightning doesn't strike, you know, again with the Marvel cinematic universe, yeah. but like, it was just so good on its own as a standalone vehicle that like, it just, it put all that, sorry, stop talking about it. You're going to come to every single one of these. Yeah, and you're going to like you're it. You're going to love it. <laughs> For the rest of your life, you're welcome. Tom, I, you're right. All of the bad decisions, like, you know, to the extent that there have been bad decisions in the Marvel Universe have been safe choices. But, the, you know, and at the same time, like, the, every every time that they told them they couldn't do something, they just did it with a giant middle finger and, yeah. you know, and a big smile on their face. Yeah. <laughs> the, the bigger chances yeah. they took, the, the, the more the payoff, I thought. I, I do love, I, I love the, um, one of the things that makes it work is you've got all of this lightheartedness, all of this sort of sarcastic um, buffoonery that's going on with these guys. And then you've got Lee Pace as, as uh, Ronan, straight as an arrow. <laughs> he is chewing up at the as arrow, but he is like he is central casting bad guy he doesn't yeah. understand like they come up and they tell a joke and he's like don't you get it what, what we're doing, doing here like 
This isn't, right past I, him. This, this isn't Friday Night at the Improv. Like, we're, we're going to have a battle here. Like, I'm conquering the universe. Don't you get it? And they're like, they tell their jokes. They fall yeah. down. It's like having Jerry Lewis go up against John Wayne. It just, yeah. <laughs> what, what makes it work no is it. that Thanos has already told him he has the demeanor of a spoiled child. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's just... <laughs> Ronan is so mad. I also, I love that Gamora brings some of that <laughs> too. Gamora brings some of that the whole time. Like she's kind of looking at these guys, like don't don't you get it? Like guys, like yeah. knock it off. We're here to do a job, and they're just like they're being, you know, yeah. goofy and doing. But but the beautiful difference between Gamora and and Ronan is that deep deep. Deep, deep down in Gamora, she's trying to suppress a smile, right? And she bit. knows how to and, dance. And, 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 you saw her dance at the end. And, and, you and, saw it. Yeah, right? But, but like <laughs> like Ronan, they really do all go pat. Like, he is impervious to humor. Like, it's, it's just going right by him. He doesn't get any of this stuff. He's like, I'm trying to do a job here. That job is destroying the universe. Why, why is not anybody on board with this? And it's just funny because like, he's such a straight man. You're like, dude, you're such a square. <laughs> like, you can't even take him seriously, even though he's threatening to obliterate everything. You're like, dude, you suck. <laughs> Like everybody in this movie tries to take themselves like way too seriously at one yeah. point or another. Yeah, falls yeah. flat, which is part of the yeah. gag. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, that's true. That's I've, true. I compare every straight man ever like to uh, to Graham Chapman's King Arthur from the Holy Grail, and 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 the Ronan matches up because there's that this sense dynamite. of like we're not in the same movie. We're not in the same movie. Like you guys, like. Are you on the right set? Because I'm yeah, making right. this movie and you're making some right. other movie that I don't, you know. Yeah. So we're going to move on to the next one. This is going to be mine. So the movie I picked was The Avengers Age of Ultron. It's probably the least well-received Avengers movie out of all of them. But again, like, it's only because it's the bar is set so incredibly high. It's actually a really cool movie that deserves a, a look, I think. And I think it kind of gets overlooked a bit, but I really like it. And this is after Winter Soldier, so S.H.I.E.L.D. is pretty much sidelined. The Avengers kind of go off, kind of bankrolled by Tony Stark, and they're going and they're raiding the remaining Hydra strongholds in the world to kind of finally put the final the final end, end to Hydra. And they raid this, this Hydra outpost to take out Baron Von Strucker. One, they free these two twins who were like these, like, augmented superhumans that Hydra's been tinkering with, uh, Wanda and Pietro Maximoff. We know them, the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. We segue into Tony is kind of haunted by these visions of universal cataclysm. We have to do better. We have to create something that's bigger than the Avengers. And he has this like big robot army kind of protocol, which is like there to kind of safeguard the world. And he's like, we got to scale this up a bit. And accidentally creates this AI, uh, this, you know, called Ultron. That essentially it goes rogue. Pre- <laughs> it goes rogue pretty quickly, and our heroes are off on this pretty frantic chase around the world, trying to get in front of Ultron before he gets too big to stop. All the beats you would want from an Avengers movie are present here. My moment of truth for this movie, the climax of the movie, everything kind of comes to the head in this fictional European country called Sokovia, right? And Ultron hatches this plot to basically lift the whole capital city of Sokovia up off the ground so he could then drop it back down again, more or less simulating like an asteroid strike and like sort of wiping out the planet. So our heroes are on this a swiftly ascending city trying to fight off this robot army in the city to get to the thing that's going to stop the city from destroying the planet. Like, it's all just this crazy Rube Goldberg superhero conundrum they're trying to deal with. Hawkeye is fighting alongside Wanda and Pietro. And Pietro is off doing his own thing for the moment. He and Wanda are fighting, and they're holding their own. They're doing their thing. And they had to jump into this building to take cover for a second. Everything's just, you know, everything's just kind of getting crazy. And sort of Wanda's getting, like, overwhelmed by this. And there's this fantastic moment where Wanda's like, you know, how can I let this happen? Because the, the movie starts off and Wanda and Pietro are bad guys. And Wanda and Pietro are from Sokovia. So they realize they've gotten involved in this thing that is 
bringing vast ruin to their own home. And Hawkeye's like, hey, you okay? And she's like, this is all our fault. And Hawkeye leans in and he goes, hey, look at me. It's your fault. It's everyone's fault. Who cares? Are you up for this? Are you? Look, I just need to know because the city is flying. The city is flying, and we're fighting an army of robots, and I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense, but I'm going back out there because it's my job, okay? And I can't do my job and babysit. It doesn't matter what you did or what you were. If you go out there, you fight, and you fight to kill. You stay in here, you're good. I'll send your brother to come get you. But if you step out that door, you are an Avenger. Good chat. And he goes out and he, he goes fighting again and Wanda has a moment and then, you know, Hawkeye's fighting, he gets in over his head and all of a sudden, here comes Wanda, comes walking out badass and, you know, throws a big red field, takes out these robots, takes these robots, does the funky finger movements and, you know, Wanda Maximoff, right? And, but, but, it, you know, but it's really cool. But I love that speech because it does a couple things. First of all, Hawkeye's kind of speaking to the audience a little bit. It's like, like he's like he's like acknowledging at this point the Marvel universe has gotten so big. The only thing that's going to stop it now is if our suspension disbelief somehow cracks. If they keep raising the stakes so high, we're going to go. This is stupid. As soon as you say that, it's the show's over. And Hawkeye's like, I get it. It's ridiculous. And he punctures that tension. That's a brilliant piece of writing where he just sort of punctures it and lets the air out of it. And, and you're like, you're right, it is, but we love it anyway because it's so freaking cool. Carry on, you know? And so I, I like it for that. But with Wanda, there's a, an element of regret and redemption there that's a little higher than in other characters. And it's not a common it's not a common starting point for a lot of superhero characters in general, but it's there with Wanda for sure. And so when you see her do that hero walk back out in the battle, it really kind of means something. At least it meant something to me. I I think especially, and especially on second, third, fourth, fifth watches, because once you know Wanda's journey will carry with it some pretty grave consequences for her and everybody she cares about, the fact that she manages to go back out there when, you know, Clint gives her a complete free pass like you don't have to get involved if you don't want to and he's legit like he's got like no judgment on her at all which is really cool he's like he's like if you're gonna do it great yeah right and he does he's the only guy who does you know and i think that's such a cool thing like i just love there's there's a humanity to that scene that scene works so well for that humanity that's that's why that's one of my it's one of my favorite things about this movie is the way it treats clint it, yeah. It, yeah, he is. He's is so human and awesome. And my favorite scene in this, and it's not, and it's not. I love the scene with the hammer at the party and everything else. Is <laughs> it's but a good one. <laughs> when they're on the, That's it's another favorite. Clint moment. They're on the island. He's had enough of Quicksilver, right? And they're up on the shore. <laughs> Nobody would gonna, know. He's no one running would away, know. and he draws the bow on him, and he goes, "No one would know. No one would know." Yeah, no. <laughs> Wanda would know. Okay. Well, because because, because, <laughs> so because because they take off and Pietro goes, "Keep up, old man." And he's like, "Oh man, like I'm gonna shoot you in the back, kid." And, like, then, yeah. and of course, he's the one that carries his body. He gets saved by him later. Yeah. So they yeah. The, the, the Marvel movie yeah. making is so brilliant, and I think what I love about Age of Ultron, which I think is underrated and gets a a, a poor beat because a lot of people I agree. a lot of people intentionally misunderstand the characterization of Ultron and consider him a weak villain. Where I think. Uh, I love what they did with Ultron. In this. Yeah. I've enjoyed Ultron out of the comic in the comics for a very long time. And yeah. he's, he's not a stable, he's not a mentally stable character no. No. in the comics. He's often portrayed as being unpredictable, being a little bit on the fritz, it, like, like the over the top is, bonkers. Like, yeah. Yeah. And so <laughs> approval of a father figure, all that. Right. Kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, so one of the things that's odd in a toaster. One of, the, one of the things that I really, um, that I really like about this, it's in medias rest. This is the one, it's not introducing everybody. It's not the huge end battle. Yeah. Yeah. This is the comic you love because 
it's not the huge end of the world. It's a cool adventure story. Yeah, it's, it's issue yeah. 145. Right? Oh. And we can enjoy them because we're not having to meet them and we can enjoy them because it's not like it's just about to end and all the all of that emotional heft that goes with that. You yeah. can just lay back and have a great popcorn time with it. And yeah, you I, really I, can. That's, that's what's yeah. really great about this installment. See, uh, I'm not sure I agree with you there, really? Joe, because uh, to me, this is the Marvel cinematic universe's stab at the empire strikes back this is you know the dissolution of the team and we're super bad decisions being made and you know for bad reasons you know they're they're all falling apart and and this is why i agree with you that it is a an underrated movie i i like it more each time i see it the stresses upon the avengers are kind of ugly i think chris what i'm saying is that each of these characters are in the middle of their stories and okay. well, except for Quicksilver, but all these characters are in the middle oh, of their story, dude. Just, just like, Too soon. just like that. Really? <laughs> Casual, really? That Quicksilver uh, dirty like that. Oh. Yeah, right. Wow. Seriously, mm, no man. one would know. No one would know. <laughs> you know, you know, the action sequences are just, are just dynamite. You know, I've seen near the end where, you know, they, they got to keep Ultron from touching this thing in the center, and they just, they just all kind of fall in this defensive circle around it, and they just come at them, and it's just like this, just complete just fracas and you're just watching it you're like oh this is so cool like like they 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 dial in so well and yeah that's like for me that's like pure popcorn magic i'm just like just yeah. bring it in <laughs> but but it does manage to fit in these deeper deeper well, beats no you know things kind of go south i think in south africa after after the hulk and, and iron man fight and they all have to ditch to to clint's farm yeah. right and, and like there's this it, it, the movie stops to take a pause and you get these great scenes where you see Hawkeye with his family like whoa dude like he does all this with his family he's got a family it's just so cool you see that great scene where Bruce and Natasha have this moment where they kind of talk about you know heartbreaking yeah the, 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 this romance that can never happen you know you see that great wood chopping contest between chopping. Steve, Steve and Tony where they're just you know just, you can you, it just sets up like the antagonism to come right you know <laughs> don't take from my pile <laughs> I love that line I will say to you both one of the things you and I have talked about is I love superheroes out of costume it's what I loved about the Claremont run on the X-Men is how mm, much yeah. non-fighting there, yeah, story yeah. development and character development you get in this movie you get at the party right where they're just hanging out drinking like yeah. you know where where Iron Man and uh, and Thor brings up arguing. Prima Noctis for some reason. <laughs> They're arguing about whose girlfriend is hot. Team Tony, hard. indeed. Yeah. And, <laughs> so you get that character development where they're having a good time, and then you get the character development at Clint's farm, yeah. out of costume, where everybody is in their Empire Strikes Back moment, and and it's yeah. just yeah. It, it's really yeah. well done. And some of the best yeah. sequences are are out of costume, and nobody throws a punch. Ultimately, each one of them chose to walk the path that they're walking right now in this moment when it matters most, right? And that's what really makes them such great heroes that you realize when they're at the farm, they all could have split each different way, right? But they didn't. They chose to stick together. They chose to fight. And they and Thor does and, fall. except for Thor. Well, he he's going to get some answers. He will, you know, he will he, will, he will, he will come back. Thor is always going to be there, right? Thor's got to go smoke some peyote and have a yeah, yeah, exactly. He's going to yeah. do his, his own thing, you know. But 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 it's like it does underpin kind of just, you know, the fact that, you know, they're not just heroes because of where the costume or because they have powers. It's because of what they choose to do with them. And we see this every movie, but in that moment, you really kind of saw it writ large. And I just, I just love that. So I thought that was really kind of, kind I of love cool. it too, man. Hawkeye always runs out of freaking arrows in the end. You know, I love the, like, you can see it going on in his head. Like, Hey, yeah. maybe like the best way for me to deal with this is to, 
try and get who's arguably the most powerful mutant on the planet on our side right now. <laughs> I think that's better than shooting more arrows. Yeah, right. <laughs> this would be a good thing. Exactly. Joe, can you give us the movie that you picked, a quick summation of, of what it's about, why you like it so much, what's your moment of truth from it? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go with the final movie in, in this part of the cycle, which is, uh, which is Ant-Man. Ant-Man's another character that, while in the comics has a very long and storied history, was a founding Avenger in the comics, but you would not have thought to, you know, Ant-Man, like, you know, what, what are we doing here? I was a big Henry Pym fan in the, in the comics. I think he's, Same. I think he's a, a tortured character who um, yeah. has gone through a lot. He's a great scientist who was never really cut out for the hero biz, but tried to do it much to the detriment of his mental health. Uh, he tried mm. to keep up with guys like Tony Stark. He was never quite the scientist Tony Stark was. He was never quite the hero that Captain America was. I mean, he was always falling short of the people that that he was around. Yeah. And he created Ultron. And yeah, and, well, yeah. That, <laughs> yes, he that, did. That's to my point. Not is Tony. <laughs> this, um, <laughs> yeah. Watch the Tony Stark fan pop out and immediately lay, lay where Ultron sorry, really I, came I from. I can't let it pass. Like, I, <laughs> well, it, I just have to inform you guys, well, in the comic book, it's really Henry Pym, okay? you. <laughs> in the comics... <laughs> Pym is the creator of the artificial intelligence that will become Ultron, which is interesting because he's a biochemist. I don't know what he's working in robotics for, but when we saw Tony Stark be the, the praxis for the Ultron character, I thought, one, that's really cool. That makes sense that it would be Tony Stark in the in the MCU that, that they would do this for. Yeah. But it also told yeah. me, oh, man, I'm never going to see Henry Pym now because the creation of Ultron <laughs> is so central to his, right. his character. So imagine now you fast forward to the, the Ant-Man movie and what do we open with? It's Henry Pym. You know, he's sort of an aging scientist, an aging superhero. He was a superhero back in the 60s as this guy yeah. who invented Pym particles that allowed him to shrink down um, to the size of an ant. And he invented a cybernetic helmet that allowed to com him to communicate with ants. And he was a, a Cold War superhero alongside his, his wife, uh, who was the Wasp. It was really wonderful to to get that nod to him. And the way they did it, yeah. I thought, was really well done. That they said, oh, no, this guy was was a hero back in the day. He now is about to um, lose control of his company and his his inventions to this shadowy syndicate of, of, of characters. And this guy, Darren Cross, who's a climber who want, was a protege of his, um, but wants to use this stuff for nefarious and, and profit-making um, and geopolitical reasons. Pym finds himself a, a younger iteration to help him steal his stuff back. And he goes and finds himself Scott Lang, who's a, a, a sort of a petty thief, uh, a heist master. Paul Rudd, who, by the way, is the most likable human being ever to appear. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> you, can't, you can't dislike the man. If charisma is not a dump stat, this guy is like... <laughs> He doesn't. He is more likable than Chris this Pratt, guy, and that's going a long way. The thing about Paul Rudd is he gets more done. He basically has a charisma of thirteen, but he always rolls twenties on his throws. Um, <laughs> it's just true. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll give you that. Is just is just insanely likable, and he plays Scott Lang as this aw shucks. I, am I really in this movie? Am I really? You know, am I a superhero? Am I yeah. a superhero? Is that what I am? And, yeah. and, and it just works really well. So he ended up stealing stuff, and he uh, becomes the, the, the hero Ant-Man. So my moment of truth in this really has to do with actually Michael Douglas's portrayal of, of him. The acting is outstanding, and Michael Douglas brings uh, a weariness to that, uh, to that mm -hmm. character, which really comes across. Yeah. And by the way, it is probably the best de-aging application that I've sued. Agreed. Okay. Agreed. And I, yeah, and I read something real. that talked about how there's so much 
footage of a younger Michael Douglas that they mm. that they can use to to program the oh, algorithms yeah. that that's part yeah. of why it works so well. Um, oh, yeah. interesting. And the okay. same thing is true, by the way, on Russell when he's pl- um, playing ego. Oh, Kurt Russell. Yeah, yeah, Kurt yeah. Russell. There's so much footage of him at that age yeah. that it, it works really well. Right. There's not yeah. enough Samuel L. Jackson, you know, or or to make it. So that's <laughs> yeah. anyway. The de aging works best when it's a a character that or, or an a actor. really big movie star. It's a big movie star where you've got stuff from when they yeah. were 25 years yeah. old that you can use as a guy. Yeah. I love the chance to see uh, Doctor <laughs> Pym on on the screen. I loved Evangeline Lilly's work. Uh, in this movie, as as Hope Van Dyne, uh, eventually right. she is the Wasp. I, I she like was cool. I like it. She's not what I expected, but I thought she was really. I cool. like it because she plays it very yeah. icy. Uh, throughout and her and her byplay with with Scott Lang with Bride is there's actually like this weird, unforeseen chemistry between the two of them where she is. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like an almost rejected. Chemistry. She is clearly the alpha. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, but, and, but like it's like she hates herself for falling for this. Oh, she's schmuck. deeply like, Oh my god, I'm so much better than this. <laughs> yeah. she, she failed her saving throw versus you know yeah. versus, against charm. Versus yeah. Paul Rudd, and yeah. like everybody else does, no matter how hard they try. <laughs> and um, I mean, the guy married Phoebe for God's sakes. So you know, and by the way, and he looks the same. I don't care. Like this guy, Dick Clark has got nothing yeah. on Paul Rudd. Honestly, I think Paul Surreal. Rudd may be 194. I mean, you just you can't tell. You can't. I've seen evidence. I think there's a Civil War photo of Paul Rudd, and he's the exact same guy. Yeah, no, he, he doesn't know. he doesn't age, and and he he has this this smirk to him at yeah. all times. It's the only time I've ever seen somebody smirk, and I didn't want to punch him. It, it, so <laughs> yeah. Now I also the movie is very very funny, partially because yeah, of of Rudd is a, has great comic timing. Um, yeah. But also, you get his yeah. sort of his buddies that are his oh. like. Um, oh my god! Now, crew is I think so good. some of this gets over, but some of it is really funny. Now, I, I almost did the introduction and the synopsis in that style of like, okay, okay, so there's this guy, and this guy does it, you know, and the, the storytelling yeah. that they use, it is a brilliant expositional tool. God, so, yeah, it is. It's so yeah. great. I could just watch him do it for like half an hour. It's so, it's so fan. It's so compelling. It's so funny. Especially with that guy narrating. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. My okay. Guys, so yeah. 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 Yeah, there's no reason that Luis had to be Latino or uh, that any of them had to be a particular. Yeah, they, they were just that's just who they were. Them, they were people. And it works really, and it works really well. I enjoy it. I think it's a fun movie. The stakes are extremely low in a lot of ways, but they matter so much, Joe. This this is what I want to say about about yeah. Ant Man. Like like the stakes are low, but the stakes are Cassie. Right. And Cassie, goddamn, matters. Yeah, and she matters to everybody that watches this movie. Yeah, you can't help it. And it, what what matters more than the fate of a child? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, she has to live so she can be stature later in the younger. Right. But it is a deeply personal stakes for for yeah. Scott. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it's interesting too because you know you get the fathers and daughters relationship that he forms with Pim mm-hmm. a little bit. Like this is you know. And I just, but I will also say this: the scene, some of the um, the effects in this are unbelievably brilliant. Wonderful. And the scene on the table where Thomas the train is coming, and he kind of the train is, <laughs> is bearing down on him, 
And then yeah. like, it's explosive, massive CGI crash, and then it picks yeah. back and, it, and the toy just kind of falls over. And it's got the sound of a toy going. <laughs> it's so funny. It's, it's so good. It's so good. And this is a movie that didn't have a singular vision from writing and direction, that it went through a number of different permutations from a creator. Oh, did it really? Yeah. I can't believe how well it worked. Edgar Wright was the original um, uh, writer attached to it, and he bowed yeah. out, and Peyton Reed came in and, and finished it. And oh, there was a lot of concern that it wasn't going to work yeah. because yeah. because what you see in the movie is a lot of tonal dissonance in the movie that looks like there were a couple of visions melded together. But it is it is edited and directed in such a way that it that it works yeah. throughout, uh, and it's quite an accomplishment yeah. that they were able to make it as as seamless as yeah. they did. This movie actually made you feel bad for an ant that died along Andy, the way. No, yeah. <laughs> you're like that poor ant, and like we like I just I just sprayed three hundred of them earlier today, but I feel bad for the one I saw. In the movie. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, it's like we want to make it very no, clear that nothing that, bad happened to the ponies. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, and at the end, you know, when giant ant come out, and the one cop's like, "That's a messed up dog." <laughs> That's a messed up it's, dog. It's, it's just so funny. Like it's it's it, it kind of. And then you see Cassie feeding him under, yeah, the, under table. the table. It's like, oh man, this is so good. I just love oh. it. It's so fantastic. <laughs> so, but but you know, Joe, when you mentioned how like you know your your moment comes from from watching Henry Pym. Yeah, I loved the use of Henry Pym in this. I love Michael Douglas's portrayal because there was this weariness. There's also a long simmering and deeply suppressed anger mm-hmm. to, to, to Pym in this movie, right? Yeah. Like he's angry. He Which lost tracks. his wife to the quantum realm, yeah. right? He's angry. He wants to punch more people in the nose. Right. You know, he wishes he was a young man so he can go out and do the things he used to be able to do. Like he's not happy that he can no longer put the suit on and do what he used to do, right? That And there's an anger over his wife that's unresolved. There's an anger over Cross. Like it's all too much. And he's trying to hold it together and his best bet is this guy Lang who's a bit of a doofus and he's like trying to not flip his lid the entire time right and hold it together if I have a complaint about Ant-Man it's that I wanted a different Hank Pym I I wanted to see OG Hank Pym you know I I can't help it I did (laughs) and and it's okay that they went with Scott Lang and and you know what you know their decision is better than mine would have been because this is a great movie yeah. with Scott Lang in charge, you know? Like, I hear you. Like, I, I don't, yeah. I am wrong, but what I wanted was to see that Hank, that, that Hank Pym, but I knew I wouldn't because I had just seen Bruce Banner stand in for him. And Tony Stark stand in. Age of Ultron. I mean, like, it, yeah. well, yeah. It's, I think to me, like, I, I remember sitting with my brother when we were watching the first Avengers movie and we were talking about like, oh, you know, you know how the stupid dorks we can we can sit down at Thanksgiving dinner and talk about how the turkey was a half a degree too hot, right? Like I mean, it's just so like oh I love that so much. And then you go for a beer after you're like oh wouldn't it have been cool if they'd actually you know because we know it was Ant Man and Wasp and not you know Hawkeye and yeah. and Black Widow didn't come until later and you know all this other garbage. So I was like oh I wish they had had Ant Man. And my brother's like God who who would watch an Ant Man movie character, right? And then. We- <laughs> 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 Man, moments and false prophecy right exactly <laughs> and you know if they had taken it and set yeah. the first Ant-Man movie like in the 60s with my you know like yeah. but you know what oh yeah 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 that could be a lot of fun yeah it was great so, what i really the- would like to see i i'm on team chris with that man it was just not you know getting the og hank pym i feel like yeah like they absorbed his character into like all the other science you know scientist yeah. characters in the mcu and i feel like he got shortchanged but i think chris is right too that like 
if they did it any other way, uh, it just would have felt wrong. You know, yeah. like, I, everybody's got something about the MCU that they would have wanted to see. I mean, everybody wants to see X-Men movies, you know, made the same quality as, you know, the Avengers movies got made. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. You know, you can't have everything. And how they did treat him in the end, I think, all right, it's it, it, it works for me. And yeah, yeah I, I would have made the wrong decision right alongside Chris because uh, I wanted to see that OG. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I do have to say, um, you know, we're talking about Luis and his, his like, it's like tonight on ADHD theater. And he just kind of goes off and sort of, you know, tell <laughs> And, and and at the end when they when they re, they revisit that I have to yeah, wear a yeah, uniform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes off and he's he's talking about how the Fal- <laughs> how the Falcons looking for him. You're like, oh, you know, there was he did that so well that um I remember when uh I think it was when Infinity War was getting re- ready to come out, right? People were like, oh man, it's like you know, or it was either that or Endgame, and people were talking about like how do you get in now? You got to watch like 20 movies, and somebody was like, we need Michael Pena to do. <laughs> A Ant Man style <laughs> recap of the entire MCU up until now. I'm like, oh man, I would pay just to watch that. I'd buy the disc of that. Yeah, you know, him give yeah. me like, give me that in thirty minutes. Yeah, yeah give me that in thirty minutes. I <laughs> right? do like this, this end run. That would be so fantastic. Like, you know, just just okay, okay. So here's what we're gonna do, right? This is Ant Man, and this is like gives a. Oh. Frankly, Chris, to your point, you talked about you know his his love of Cassie, uh, being the stakes here. That same thing, is what drives him to be the one who actually saves everyone. Um, he's the one. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. Like, he, he doesn't want to be a hero to be a hero. He wants to be a hero because his daughter sees him as a hero. It's made yeah. explicit throughout yeah. the movie. Like he, he just wants to be what she sees. Yeah, he wants to live one. up to his daughter's expectations. Spoiler alerts. He's the guy that makes Endgame happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. It happened yeah. with Adam, yeah. Yeah. I, for me, the thing with this movie that like I really enjoy is is like if you didn't get it from Spider Man and you know the, especially the movies that came actually after Ant Man, but uh, you know the the notion that like anybody can be the hero is mm. is definitely in this movie. Like yeah. Scott Lang yeah. is, is kind of trash, you know. <laughs> it's just, you know <laughs> he oh, really kind of is, yeah. Dude. The humblest of, of, of you know backgrounds with. Yeah. The, I love that guy. No, no, no. He, he, <laughs> he, he masters. But he's, he's, he's a not. common thief, and he's yeah. you know he's just junk, and like he's even amazed that like he's oh, yeah, wow, I get to do that. Like yeah. really, like you, you want a guy yeah. like me to try and pull? Yeah, yeah. Up? yeah, yeah. That's but my my dad did route. time. I I, I like. I, I don't have judgment for Scott. <laughs> no, no, no but, but but like when you look at Scott, like his skill set is say he is not to thieves what Natasha Romanoff is to spies or what Clint Barton is to archers, right? He he's not this guy with like this extraordinary skills. He's the guy that Hank Pym can get his hands on because he needs somebody right now. Like he's not Mister Right. He's Mister Right now. <laughs> okay, this movie was supposed to be the first movie of Phase Three. And they decided, no, 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 we're, we're going to make it the last movie of Phase 2. And I actually love this as the end of Phase 2. Because it, it's like, because Guardians is the first movie that kind of enters like a real sense of a whimsy and humor into this. And Ant-Man brings it back. It's humor. It's not Guardian-style humor, but it is definitely humor. And I right. love that it's making more room for action comedy. And kind of really, by the time the, the phase ends, you're like, okay, this is something we can totally expect. We can have something that's tough and, and dark and brooding like Winter Soldier, or we can have something that's just over the top and popcorn like Ultron, or we can have something that's just funny and wacky like Guardians or Ant-Man. And it's like, I, I like that they really kind of set that expectation so well by having Or we can have both, because that's America's ass. 
<laughs> and they really exactly. do start to weave it together. I mean, look at Ragnarok. For yeah. like once we get moving along, like right. the Marvel <sighs> brand is oh, man. that action meets humor meets stakes. And they do it yeah. better than anybody has ever done anybody. on the big screen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have to agree there, and, 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 it, and it's so funny because when you see we see folks kind of getting off like, oh, Marvel isn't real movie. Like, like a guy like Martin Scorsese, who is extraordinary, but you know, but he's, he just can't help but try to take the Mickey out of Marvel. It's like, it, it, it's like, you know what, dude? Like, you know, I'm making a hand gesture right yeah, now. It's like you're angry because <laughs> you're looking at some sort of commodity, but you know what? The amount of storytelling craft on display in these movies, you may not like superheroes, you may not like costumes, you may not like big budget spectacle, but the reality is that these stories are finely written. They are extremely well written because they balance so many effects, they, they have so many things that don't get in the way of each other. That is precision writing. It really is. It may not be about the things you don't like to hear about, but it is precision writing, and I've watched enough crappy movies to know a good one when I see it. And these are good, 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 good movies. They really are. From a writing standpoint, they're just – as a writer myself, I look at them and going, man, if I if I write something 10, 10% as good as this, I'll be okay. You work for DC. You know? As a critic, I agree. <laughs> so before we wrap up, a final thought. The two movies from Phase 2 that we didn't cover, Iron Man 3 and Thor The Dark World, are widely considered to be some of the weakest MCU outings so far. And that's you know, fair enough. I mean, Iron Man 3 is really more of a Tony Stark movie. And Thor The Dark World never quite unlocks the full storytelling potential of Asgard and its heroes. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter. Compared to any superhero movies that came out before the MCU, both of those movies would have been widely hailed as outstanding examples of superhero cinema. And they still stand as important parts of a muscular second act of the Infinity Saga that takes each of its chapters as an opportunity to deepen our heroes and to set up future earned moments that won't pay off until well down the line. Across all of Phase 2, we see critical plot lines and themes intertwine at a level that Phase 1 never even contemplated. We see how Tony's PTSD, Cap's moral rectitude, the Avengers' collateral damage, and even Ant-Man's arrival presage a coming civil war that will change everything. We see how Tony's vision of the future, Asgard's war with the Dark Elves, and the Guardians of the Galaxy establish the Infinity Stones and the war and endgame over who will control them. We're even given hints that a Sorcerer Supreme and a Friendly Neighborhood Webslinger are both on the way, and that we're going to meet who is really producing all the world's supply of vibranium. And as we see Phase 2's movies cross over into different genres, we note how like Iron Man 3 is as much a character drama as it is a superhero story. Dark World is a family you know, tragedy. Winter Soldier is a political thriller. Guardians of the Galaxy is space opera. Ant-Man's a heist movie. By the end of Phase 2, we know not just to look forward to more fights and tights, but to look forward to heroism in any form, from any direction, in any style. Marvel wasn't just making movies here. It was making an entire universe. And lucky us, we got an invite to visit it as often as we like. What a great time to be a true believer. What a time to make mine Marvel. This has been Moments of Truth. On behalf of myself, Tom, Chris, and Joe, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Moments of Truth is hosted by Bill Coffin, Chris Crenshaw, Tom Hespos, and Joe Pace. This podcast is edited by Derek Eisenhart. The Moments of Truth theme is a mashup of The Clermont by Flash Fluherty and a little help from a Texas Instruments Speak and Spell. For more Moments of Truth, be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And for hundreds of additional write-ups of my favorite movies, please visit BillCoffin.com.